This is Religion and Theology, a podcast from the Center for Theology and Religious Studies. This is the second episode where Religion and Theology publishes talks from the conference Multi-Religious Identities, a conference in the memory of late Professor Åsul Blande. And today we will listen to Patrick Friedlund, reader and lecturer at CCR in the studies in faith and world views. Friedlund will talk on the topic of My Religious Identity, an Unfinished Project. Dr. Docent Reader uh, uh, Patrick Friedlund from this house, CTR of Lund University. Patrick, you're warmly welcome. Thank you very much, Mika, for inviting me. And it is, of course, a pleasure to be here, as I said last time in Stockholm, as I said. Uh, that is the common phrase to start with. It's a pleasure to be here and so on. But it is actually a particular pleasure to be here because it's the conference, the memory of Osof Lander. And at the same time, of course, it's a certain sadness uh, to remember that he is not among us any longer. The last time when I heard Osof speak in public, I think, was at a conference in Montpellier in France. I think so, at least. And then he was quite personal in his approach uh, when he made his presentation. And maybe one would think that that has inspired me also today with this title, My Religious Identity, an Unfinished Project. And I'm very sorry to disappoint you. I'm not going to be autobiographical, and I'm not going to be, as seems to be popular in these days, autofictional either. But I will keep with the words, uh, my and I will keep them in the word religious and identity to various degrees, in particular maybe uh, identity, the question of identity with certain implications. <clears throat> religious identity could be a non-issue, and after having heard uh, Kaisa's uh, presentation, it becomes even more clear maybe. Uh, it is more or less standard, at least in scholarly relations to religion, that religion always is syncretic. Religion is always a mixture and a blend of different elements and different ideas, different practices coming from different traditions, different corners with different backgrounds, different experiences, and they are sort of blended together. So there seems to be a certain agreement that also religion is historically formed and that means always, in the case, related to other. But not only religions as um, traditions or as religions, but I think also individuals. We have multiple practices. Uh, I'm often thinking myself of our practices in my family or my private life. I become a little bit personal still. But in my, in my personal experience from Christmas time is that, of course, Christmas is a Christian feast, but much of what we are doing, much of the celebrations we are doing are coming from completely different ideas with different backgrounds than the Christian one. And also I think that most of us, or at least many of us, will have to recognize that religiously, 
We might say that we trust only one thing. We might say that we trust God. We might say that we trust the Christian tradition. But in reality, there are other trusts as well. We are also trusting superstition. We are trusting science. We are trusting other things that sometimes, at least, seem to be in opposition to what we say when we say that we trust God. And the same thing with different teachings. We're having alternative narratives. We're picking one of them at some points. And when it doesn't correspond to our needs, we will pick another narrative or we change that. And rituals, similar. Many of us, not necessarily all of us, but many will recognize the situation where we might be going to the chapel for prayer and going to the church for the funeral. Or going to one place for an everyday religious practice, maybe, but when it becomes really the big thing, it is more inspiring to be some other place, even though this some other place belongs to another tradition, not the one where I'm usually going. So even syncretism can be said to be the definition of religion, as we had a scholar here at our faculty a few years ago who said, syncretism is what defines uh, religion. So religious identity could be a non-issue in that sense. It's always mixing and blending, even if it's fluid, sometimes multiple. But it seems that religious identity comes back as a recurring topic. And Kaisa also mentioned this issue of interreligious dialogue. There are questions, who is in this dialogue? Who can take part in the dialogue? What are the requirements for dialogue? What is the purpose of dialogue? What is the character of dialogue? In all these cases, coming back to points like what are the identity, what is the religious identity of the people who are taking part? What, who can take part in a religious dialogue, an interreligious dialogue? And moving to another field, a similar field, the theology of religions, in a different way maybe, but there are also an idea of various distinct entities. The theology of religions, where religions are distinct ent entities that we can sort of be talking about. And that becomes, once again, even more uh, salient, maybe, when we are talking about syncretism. Hank Fromm, the uh, uh, philosopher of religion, defines famously syncretism as an incorporation of incompatible beliefs from one religion by another. And he further on stresses that this non-compatibility is not a psychological or anthropological category, but a logical one. Nobody can believe that the earth is flat and round simultaneously, nor that people live once and many times at the same time. And this is not uh, completely unfamiliar to the biblical narratives either. In the first book of Kings, chapter 18, we read, And Eliah came near all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. It's to say, I think, in questions of syncretism, there seems to be many holding there is a problem per se. That is a logical problem. You cannot be the one and the other at the same time. You cannot be round and flat. You cannot have one set of beliefs and another set of beliefs. 
So my suggestion is, this is a question of identity. The identity is so central. And you can hear that echoing in Fromm's definitions, incorporation, incorporating something, this is within one identity, of incompatible beliefs. That is, beliefs that are incompatible. You have one set of beliefs and another. They are incompatible. Not one thing that is flat and around the thing that is being round at the same time. Because there is an identity of being flat that is opposed to the identity of being round. Sort of in the same way as there is an identity of having a set of beliefs that is not the same and cannot be the same as another set of beliefs. And I think this is, can be seen as backed up also from other areas, from other scholars. And I have used an example I'll be bringing up again. Vasily Saruglu could be other people, but I take him as I've been reading him. Talking about syncretism from a psychology of religion perspective, and saying that syncretism, if that is accepted, that means a loss of value, valuable aspirations for coherence, which would destroy the religious life, because it, religious life presupposes that there are separate coherent entities. And I claim that what is the sort of recurring uh, thing here is this, in this kind of argument is that it appears to be about precisely identity. That comes back also in other contexts. You can see in John B. Cobb Jr., who asked the question, is it possible to change religion and remain the same person? Or does the change of religion imply also that I change as a person? So I think there is a strongly underlying assumption that identity is at the core, and identity has to do with belonging to something, and this belonging is a belonging to an existing identity that can be challenged and is challenged by that what is different. This is, seem, it seems to me at least, a question of logic. And I'm pushing this, I'm bringing it back to the table, logic and identity, in order to say that this can be problematized. It can be seen as problematic, and it's not self-evident to start with identity. And I would do that with the help of the French-Lithuanian philosopher, Emmanuel Levinas, and in particular, a small text, De l'Unicité, which is a discourse held in 1985 and published many years later. It's a small booklet. Where he starts from another side and has a different kind of argument. But he says that identity is maybe not what comes first, and the logical aspects perhaps not as central. And he also recognizes that if you say that, you go against an established European philosophical understanding of humanity as a set of entities which are separate and logically defined as separate. And he suggests, and Levinas suggests, a change of perspective. He says that what is fundamental, what could be seen as fundamental human being, is not being characterized by an identity as a self-sufficient unity, 
but rather seen as a person or as an individual being the other for another. And I think that can be translated as enigmatic expression and saying that it was, is about, in Levinas, is a relationship. That is, I, the sort of what seems to be the I, cannot be seen as a closed consciousness which is separate and alienated from the non-I, or from the non-identical, and especially not be separate from the non-identical cry, not being separate from a cry from the absolutely other or the complete stranger. That means that if we are talking about the logic of identity and the logic of myself as the center, this then overrides the unconditional welcoming of the other, Levinas says. The implication is that using or basing the discourse of a logic of identity and having an identity as the center in terms of logical separate entities, as is in the case, in my view, in, for instance, Henk Fromm's definition of or discourse about uh, syncretism, where the religious identity is seen as separate entities, where the entities are incompatible, or in Saraglu, where coherence is vital, or as it is in Cobb's questions about myself, is it possible to change religion and remain the same person? Levinas will push it so far that he says that it can even be seen as a kind of violence, because that implies alienation and isolation and uh, closeness. Still, I think that identity as a, as a theme or as a, uh, as a starting point and talking about myself um, are understandable and in certain ways attractive. Coming back to Saruglu, who says that typically a religious person belongs to a specific tradition of belief, not just any tradition, not just one tradition. And typically, he says, a religious person wants firm structures because a religious person typically wants to see what is recognizable that is, this is where I am, not somewhere else. And typically, a religious person, Saraglo says, would avoid ambiguity because it is important to know if this is this or that, not somewhere in between or whatever. And a religious person would sort of look for structures as the very point of being religious. That is the importance of being religious is to have clear borders. And if that is the case, of course, my religious identity or religious identity are important. And in that case, of course, all kinds of mixing, blending, uh, and so on are doubtful, especially when it comes to a religious context. And of course, in that case, one has to be against syncretism, because syncretism must be seen as abandoning intellectual and moral virtues, like coherence, and ruining the idea of religion and religious life, as it were. 
I think that this is precisely so, and there are very many attractive parts of it, because we are trained to look upon it in this way. This is the way we are trained to see things. This is what we see as the advantages. We see the advantages of logical structures, we see the advantages of coherence, we see the advantages of having entities that we can place and we can talk about and we can sort of manipulate, and we see the advantage and the attractiveness of clarity and the attractivity of water. And Levinas challenges us exactly on this point, bringing a different perspective. When he starts in the right the one has in the proximity of the other, that is in one's uniqueness. If Levinas' starting point, if, if that is the starting point, that implies the talk about identity, talk about myself, actually entails a threat and it's a threat to being open to the other's suffering. Or one can say that a discourse built upon identity is also built upon objectivation. That is, anybody can play any role. We're having anonymous figures, like in logic, with the very point of logic is to replace the proper names with P-Q-R-S-T, that is anonymous uh, objects, ob, uh, objective descriptions, descri descriptions, sorry. Levinas would rather see the human person as characterized as being not reduced to a simple object. That is what makes us human. We are not reduced to a simple object. Not being an individual among others but being who I am through the concrete encounter in relation and the relation in which I am unique. That is the right to uniqueness. And this, I think, has important things to bring in to the talk about, for instance, syncretism. So when I talked about syncretism a few years ago at a conference in this, of this kind, I suggested that there is maybe a religious approach to syncretism that is different from this logical one. Uh, and I also said that uh, it is true that syncretism is a topic, and it's true that many religious people re reject syncretism, but the clue is that in a religious setting, syncretism is often rejected not by simple logic, but from a religious point of view. And I think that Levinas could be a good source to strengthen that and make us understand it even better. Sorry. I will not be romanticizing uh, religions or religious communities uh, I'm well aware that there are many atrocities and much bad behavior uh, being done within uh, religion, religious communities, no doubt about that. And certainly so, that is not always building good relationships and, condemn, and not condemning people on dogmatic grounds. But I think there is something, or there is something that 
can be seen, at least, in the religious approach to syncretism that is interesting. That is a religious argument against syncretism, if one is against syncretism. And one can see that, for instance, in WCC, in World Council of Churches, which is not necessarily church, but still it's a religious body, taking stands against syncretism, saying that syncretism is a danger when it attempts to translate the Christian message and goes too far in compromising authenticity of Christian faith and life. Or when it says that it's a danger when it, the interpretation of the message is made in terms of other faith or ideology, that is in a way that Christianity is seen as only a variant of some other approach to God. This kind of rejection of syncretism, I maintain, is less formulated on the basis of logic, on it's not possible, but it's rather formulated on the, base, on the religious basis, that is what I have called on jealousy. It's a jealous side, uh, it's a jealous argument. And I think the churches or the religious thinking in this sense have a certain wisdom to share with us. It's not logical, but religious, religious refutation of things. That is to say, I'm not contrasting logic and religious in all senses, at all levels, at all times. It would be rather stupid to say that you can never argue in any logical way or that all arguments should be avoided or something like that. But what I think is interesting to bring in is that there could be a different approach, there could be a different attitude, or there could be another basic entry to the discourse. That is, if the reaction of syncretism is not based on objectivity, not about the logical, it, it can also be said not to be connected to the question of identity in the, so, in the sense of something that is closed and, and uh, delimited in a, in a firm way. In that case, the issue is rather about those involved in the business and who are involved in the business, God and humans. And God and humans are rather seen in terms of concrete relation, where the unconditional welcome is at stake, where it is about not to follow the logic of things, and where indifference is impossible. And if that is the case, if that is the case that relation comes to the fore, it may also imply, which I also mentioned already, jealousy. So understanding syncretism is evoking questions about religious identity and identity. And if syncretism is condemned, then we have certain important aspects seen in the, in the talking about when we see uh, Henk Fromian again saying how uh, that the, the important aspect of this is that how one views syncretism depends to a large extent on one's view of the nature of religious belief system. If one regards the content of religion as a coherent entity, religion A cannot adopt the belief from religion B unless this belief is isolated from B and adapted to the entire belief system of A. I think that the key here is coherence, incoherence. 
or and the question of entity. So once again, I think there is a bit, this attitude that is uh, coming forward in, in Henk Frohm is uh, uh, based on the view of an integrated being, a closed entity that is by itself and in itself. But there is also another trait, I think, in this, and this is strongly connected to the idea of this identity, this entity as being autonomous and being sovereign as characteristic. Now, I think that many would say that there are, of course, identities based on not being autonomous. I am in a minority and we know that we are who we are because we are not autonomous, or we are who we are because we are oppressed, but I claim that in that case that is the reversed side of the coin. That is still what is at stake is the issue of autonomy and sovereignty, even though it is seen from the other side. And Levinas challenges us, saying that we should maybe not start in that, but maybe we should start, he suggests starting in the irreducibility of a human being as seen as a human not being an issue of identity. And the humanity of a human being is without identity. That is to say, the humanity, what makes a human being human, is not identified in terms of logic, it's not uh, identified in an anonymous way that we sort of separate the, each individual and make each alienated, but it's rather um, defined by relation and being for the other. And also uh, the French-Algerian philosopher Jacques Derrida talks about identity in a different context, but still, and echoes Levinas in certain ways, saying that identity is typically things that have to, it has to do with returning to oneself, repeating the same, being alike, being dissimilar. That is an identity, talking about identity, is being characterized by something that is closed, that is something that is fixed, but he also introduces the term, I can. An identity is something, someone, an entity that can, that has the power, that has the force, the sovereignty, is the master of the scene, freedom and liberty. Identity is characterized by being able to do what, what one wants, to decide and to choose. And once again, you can, of course, say that there are identities formed around the feeling of being powerless and not mastering the scene, but I would say that is precisely the flip side of power and autonomy and sovereignty. So identity, I think, and that would seem to be Derrida's line of thought, identity is related to autos in autonomy and homogeneity, the sameness, similarity, and all this typically in an anonymous way, which excludes heterogeneity. So I think we have two different fundamental approaches. They are not necessarily colliding in every sense 
everywhere, but just a fundamental approach. Either start the discussion in an anonymous logic, or being interested in unique relations. And Derrida, furthermore, adds a dimension to identity when seeing that sovereignty is also related to oneness and being undivided. And that implies always a question of the calculable. That is what can be foreseen. So we are having webinars on human being and humanity related to uniqueness, relation, and not identified as something that is anonymous. And Derrida, who goes against the established identity as an undivided and powerful uh, identity, and both of them sort of saying in a way that if we are talking about identity, and if we are dealing with things in a logical way, when it comes, when they are not talking, but I do that, when it comes to religion, uh, we, that also implies a certain oneness. There is one ruler, there is one ultimate answer, and there is uh, one ultimate thing. And I think that is a problem because that gives no place for uniqueness. Reason is general and anonymous. It gives no place or very little place to relation. It makes problematic certain things. It makes everything that is in the margin a problem. It makes what is unstable a problem. It makes the vulnerable a problem. It makes a problem with the other, who is not me. That is a problem. The problem is the event, the happening, what is not foreseen, what takes place, what just is there. Eschatology is a problem. And that is eventually giving no place for relations, no place for humans, and I think eventually no place for God. Thank you for your attention.